Well, each week I've started with that verse from John 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's what that song is all about. I'm thankful for the encouragement of the word being in the songs we sing. And if speaking of the Bible, if you would make your way to 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, while you're making your way there, I just want to draw a quick attention to this wonderful group of people sitting here in the front over here wearing the same t-shirts. I was a little torn this morning. I wasn't sure which t-shirt I was supposed to wear, but I didn't have one of those because Andrew didn't give me one. So I wore this one, but we want to thank you, church family, for praying for our students Last week as they were at camp, God did a mighty work. I want to thank the leaders and Pastor Andrew for his leadership for that week. So if you would, just give Andrew and his team a hand this morning. It is a challenging job to lead all of the music and plan a camp and do student ministry. And it's the things behind the scenes that we don't see so often, but I'm thankful for Andrew and his leadership and Shana and their team. Well, we are in week three of our series that we're calling Kingdom Impact. And in part one of this series, we kicked off with a reminder that Jesus in the early church cared about people who were far from God. Now, I do these recaps because I think they're important. One, because our memories are short. And two, maybe there's somebody new here today and they don't know where we've been. So I like to catch everybody up. And so we see that Jesus... He came to this earth to seek and to save the lost. And he came for the sick. He did not come for the healthy. That if we truly want to be the kind of church that Christ wants us to be, if Jeff and Jennifer want to plant the church that Christ would want them to plant, it is going to have to have a deep passion for the things that God and that Jesus had a deep passion for. And that is his gospel. We saw that people are valuable to God. We build relationships, we share the gospel, we share aspects of our faith, and then we bring others to come and see. We looked at Luke 5 and Luke 15, and we were challenged with that simple process. Then when it, when it comes to influence outside of these walls, the walls that we're sitting inside of this morning, we are on a mission to reach people who are far from God. We want to reach those in our community and in our families. We want to see Jesus, because he's the only one who can, we want to see Jesus change our community one person at a time. We send, we share Christ by proclaiming the gospel to the world around us. So, how much value do we place on people who are far from God? And does the way we see them imitate the way he sees them? Last week, we talked about the important topic of discipleship. What is it and what does it look like? And we learned that we, we imitate Christ by equipping others to be disciples. We train. This one question we asked to kind of kick off this part of the discussion is, what is a disciple? And how would you define that? And are you a disciple we, or I, define disciple to mean a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to continue that thought as we talk about the cost of discipleship. And so look with me there at verse 1 here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to face faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Last week, we ended our time together with with this thought in question. What would it look like in our church, in this local body, this local assembly, if we took that call or that mandate to be disciples seriously? And then what if we took the other part of it and we took the mandate and the call and the command to make disciples just as seriously? What would it look like if we were obedient to do those things? Because we, we imitate Christ by equipping others to be disciples. So the question is the same. Are you a disciple and are you making disciples? I think every Christ follower needs to answer those questions. I think you need to have an answer to that question. Am I a disciple? And then the second question you need to have an answer to, am I making disciples if I am a disciple? You see, in this life, we are all faced with many distractions and opportunities. And in most churches and for most church leaders, you'll hear often that, and as you should, that that eternity and eternal things are of utmost importance They should be the most important thing to a a Christ follower, a disciple, a Christian. Those are the things that, that we should be about. Even in the seasons that we find ourselves in today, with all of the unrest that's going on around us, this call hasn't changed. The mandate to proclaim the gospel and make disciples, it doesn't change with culture. It doesn't, it doesn't lessen with what we see going on around us in the world or in our families. The call, the mandate stays the same. It's just as urgent as it was in Jerusalem in the early church. It's just as urgent today in Worcester, Ohio. You see, we, have a, we still have a mission, and we still have a call to share the gospel with people who are far from God and then make disciples. Christians, people who belong to Jesus, we, we, have been, we have been saved and we have been given a hope that we don't deserve, but God loved us enough to become flesh, to come walk this earth, to, to bear every sin that we ever committed or that we'll ever commit, and he, and he bore that sin to, to a crushing position, being crushed by the weight of it on the cross, and dying the death that we should have died. And because of this grace that he gives us that we don't deserve, that is unmerited, we have been given a job to now abide in him, to live connected to the vine, and be about his work in our worlds. Now, sure, our lives are full of logistics and tasks and stuff that are necessary for our lives to continue on this earth. But we should always be about spiritual things. The things of God should be, should be consistently on our hearts and on our minds. They should be on our lips. These eternal things, they should be our primary goal in life. Time spent in prayer, 
reading the scriptures, worship, sharing the gospel, discipleship, church, giving, serving, inviting, and bringing others to come and see. The everyday duties, they're just a part of life, should be eternal things, or eternal things should be in mind even through those mundane, normal things. But are they? Well, we can praise God that he doesn't leave us wondering what he wants from us. We can read his word and we can see what it is he expects or what he, what he desires for us and ultimately what, he, what he's commanding us to do. He did give us instructions and he also gave us encouragement. And for those of us who are following Jesus, we probably know what we should be doing and we could make a list of those things on our own. You don't need me to give those to you. But often we, we just don't do them. It's not, that we, it's not that we have a knowledge problem. Sometimes that's the case. But it's, it's usually we have a motivation problem. And we could give a lot of excuses for why we don't have motivation. But one thing is certain in this command to make disciples. There is a cost. And I don't say that to discourage you. I, I hope that it encourages you at some point in this message, but there is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost in making disciples. There is a cost to faithfully following the commands that Jesus has called us to follow. So I want to look at a few things this morning in these verses. We talked a little about verse 1 last week, but we're going to revisit it for just a minute. He says, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, some Bible scholars believe, I've read several articles and in, in several different commentaries where, where they believe that Paul could possibly be addressing some kind of issue that he sees in Timothy. Maybe it was some kind of character issue. Maybe it was a weakness. We, we don't know the details. But maybe there was something going on in Timothy's life that had him discouraged. Maybe there was something going on in Timothy's life that, that was causing him to think, maybe this all isn't worth it. That there's something better that he could be doing apart from doing the things that he was doing. And so Paul says, be strengthened my child, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is letting Timothy know that, that there is no way on this earth that he's going to be able to do the things in these verses without the reminder that, that he's going to need God's strength for the battle. That God is going to have to provide the strength for this long journey that he is going to take. And the same goes for you and I today. This verse reminds us that we need to have complete trust in his power, and ultimately we just need to trust him with our lives, and not our own. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 say that the Christian has God's power living inside of them, and his strength will, will be in us. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. That's the only way we do the things that Christ has called us to do. That's what we have in the Holy Spirit. And for the Christian, this is great news. This is the encouraging part, that we don't share the gospel, we don't pursue this process of making disciples who make disciples in our own power. 
We have the power of God living inside of us, encouraging us and strengthening us to do the work. We are connected to the Spirit of God at all times. That's good news. That should encourage you this morning. Verse 2, Paul continues, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We see the, the, the teaching of the word. We see the training in righteousness and godliness. We see discipleship wrapped up in this one verse. You see, Timothy had heard the truth taught from, from people like Silas and, and Barnabas and, 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 his, and his master teacher Paul, even Luke, was teaching which helped him to know how to identify truth, to know what truth was, to uh, identify false teaching, things that were, were inaccurate about the faith, things that were going on in the, in the city of Ephesus. Do a little history sometime on the church in Ephesus. The god of Artemis was being worshipped. There were a ton of, of idols. There was, there was just a, a god problem in the city of Ephesus. And so Paul and these writers were, and these encouragers were encouraging Timothy, like, that's, that's a battle. You're going to need some strength as you battle these things. You know, we need to be in the church. We need to be hearing the Bible read and taught. And we need to recognize sinful behavior and false teachings. These are all things that would fall under this category here in verse 2. And Timothy was told to take these teachings of Jesus to other men who would then teach it to others. And it would continue. Now, that's not easy, because that comes back to that question I asked earlier about time, about all the things that we have going on in the day-to-day -day aspects of life. It's a challenge. You see, even, even when we, we know it's the right thing to do, we often struggle to give it significant space or place in the schedule. But we have to be reminded of what Jesus said in Mark 16, where he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In Matthew 28, we looked at this last week, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, so what is disciple making? This is another one of those questions that you can Google, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Millions of results will come up. It's, it, I, I tend to kind of identify, it's, it's a personal it is personal attention and guidance from one spiritual generation to the next. That's one of the definitions that you could come up with. Really, really it's, it's spiritual parenting. You could say it that way. Disciple making is intentionally and relationally investing oneself in the spiritual growth and maturity of a few. But it's not just transferring the things that 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 we know, although it's, that's part of it, it's more about semantics here, it's about us transferring what we have learned about Jesus, who we're called to imitate, and then transferring those things onto others. Because we've all got opinions. You could ask someone who's been divorced three or four times, the best way to stay married, and it's probably, it possibly isn't going to be the best advice, we don't need just opinions about things. We need truth. 
We need to know what the scriptures do clearly teach and how they do encourage and what they do tell us to do. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is investing in Timothy. And then Paul challenges and implores Timothy to do the same with other men to invest in faithful men. And then those faithful men, because they truly know the Savior and they truly are disciples, they will then invest in others also. And on and on it goes. And I know I say this all the time, but it helps me as I process this truth. We're sitting here this morning because Timothy was faithful to make disciples and then those disciples made disciples and the gospel continued to spread and the world was changed and we sit here today because the work of the ministry, this process of disciple making didn't stop. It continued. And so we see a disciple should be in the word. A disciple should be growing and applying and then transferring that, that growth and that knowledge onto others but you can't pass on something that's not in you first. And we see this idea of transferring to other people in Titus 2. And you don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen. Very common set of verses. But in Titus 2, verse 1, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, some of the seasoned Christians in the room, in our church, they need to be making an investment in others. And many of you are. Many of you are doing what Titus 2 has, has called you to do. It's called me to do. But not all of us are. You see, the setting in which this takes place, this process of, of disciple-making, it's usually in the context of relationships. It's, it's a personal thing. It's it's a time-consuming thing. It, it's not always a class, and in most cases, it's not a class. It's, it's not really what we sing in the church. You, you have to go after this process of making disciples. You have to, to do it. So how about this challenge this morning to some of the, the older men and women in the room? And don't get caught up in that word older. Please don't get caught up in that because I'm older than some other people in the room this morning. Everyone has someone who is younger than them who has an active faith in Jesus and is a disciple. And so often you'll hear pastors say, well, often pastors will hear, well, we just don't, we don't know what to do. What do we do? How do we do Titus 2? How do we, how do we make disciples? And, and so here you go. This could be a first simple step. And uh, guys, this is, this is groundbreaking. Before you leave the building today, simply invite someone younger than you 
to have coffee. It's, it can be that simple. You don't have to have your master's in biblical theology to make a disciple. Invite someone to join you for coffee, and I know this is going to make you all upset. Pay for it. <laughs> and pay for it. Invite someone out to coffee. Uh, maybe you have a sweet fire pit. Invite them to come over and sit around the fire pit, make some coffee, uh, make some tea, make some eggs, bacon. I don't know. Just put something on the calendar today before you walk out of the room and make an investment in someone else. Do it today. So we don't just need experience because not all experience equals wisdom. We need people who have remained faithful to Jesus Christ through it all. You see, we need what I need is I need a faithful man of God to sit across the table from me and say, listen, I know what it's like to go through financial struggles, and here's how I remained faithful during that season. I know what it's like to raise children in an ever-changing world and culture. I know what it's like to raise children because they're sinners, and you're a sinner, and it's, it's a challenge. And so here's some things that I did, and here's, here's, here's the pain that we walked through. And here's what God taught me. Here's what I learned. Here's what I learned by burying my child or burying my spouse or burying my father or my mother and I remained faithful through it all. You see, you can't invest in someone if you're not willing to get to know them first. That's part of making disciples. You see, Jesus walked the day-to-day life with the, the apostles, the disciples. He taught them how to live day to day. They had questions. He answered them through his father's wisdom. So we have these opportunities. So maybe, maybe it just starts there. So invite someone for, to coffee this week, whether you're a man or a woman. A lady who's older in the faith has recently taken my wife out to coffee the encouragement that that was to her heart, she'll never know. But she learned some things. She heard some things that she hasn't forgotten. It's discipleship. So why is your faith and walk with Jesus so strong? Hopefully it is. And if it's not, you need to work on that. Tell someone what you did and what you do. Get to know someone. I've actually asked. So just, I want to put this, this rumor to bed. There's this issue that, that I've heard from some of the older generation is, well, the younger generation doesn't want to hear anything from us. That's not true. I've talked to a half a dozen men in the last five days, and I've said, hey, if an older gentleman walked up to you and said, hey, would you want to get coffee this week? I just want to get to know you and, and pour into your life. Would you do it? They didn't even hesitate to say, absolutely. And it makes me wonder, why hasn't it happened already? We'll sit down with you. Now, don't try to convince me that John Deere's better than Case. That's irrelevant. <laughs> but I want to know. I want to know how you've remained faithful to Jesus for all of those years. There is nothing that impacts my faith more than when I sit next to the person who's been married 50 plus years and I hear a gospel-focused reason why. That's what I need. That's what the younger generation needs. That's what we need.
It's equipping others to be disciples. And listen, equipping others will always cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to probably cost you some money. Come back next week because we're going to talk about that one. It's not just being a Christian. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2 that it's, it's us sharing our own self. We share so others might be mature in following Jesus. Now, I mentioned this last week to parents, but I believe you already have your persons or your person picked out already. I already have four humans that I can be making an impact in their lives by transferring on what it is that I know and investing in them. It can and should start there. I saw over and over again in my decade of student ministry where that needs to happen more and more. So is that happening in your home, parent? Not are you perfect? Not do you make every decision the right way, but are you making this attempt to make disciples of your own children? Grandparents can be involved. Your influence is invaluable. And I bet a lot of people hearing this could say that their grandparents had a major impact in their faith, by the way. But I want to take a moment And I want to read from that text last week in Deuteronomy 6 that I referenced because I think it's so important. And and we know these verses, but I I just, I think we need to lay eyes on them frequently. But in Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Are you doing that? If you're doing that, you're in a good position. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them. That means to make them a permanent fixture. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Francis Chan says that a disciple is a disciple maker. You cannot be a disciple maker if you're not a disciple first. So decide right now that you're going to begin praying and asking God to give you direction with your own family or with someone else and make the investment. Teach your kids to share Christ. Teach your children to pray and to give and to serve and to, make, to, to give money generously and to know what God asks of them, to make the investment. Paul continues in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So Paul gives Timothy this, this charge to make disciples who make disciples. It's life on life. It's relational. And then the very next thing he says is good news, right? Share in suffering. So we can start with the cost right here in verse 3. One of the costs of disciple making can be opposition and even persecution. Now that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus was persecuted, the disciples, the early church. Uh, If you think about early Christians like John Rogers and and Martin Luther and and these types of of Christian characters throughout history, they they were persecuted for their faith, for following Jesus, for for pointing people to, to something other than the Catholic church. Jesus was put to death on a cross That's how deep the the opposition went against him. So Paul is writing this Timothy, this letter to Timothy, and he's not writing it from his beach house. He's writing it from prison. And it's not prison like like we, we know today. This is prison. 
This is like the hard stuff. But he's writing this letter to be strengthened in Jesus. He continues to write another book to fight the good fight of the faith. You see, enemies of Jesus, they don't typically bother with opposing Christians who keep to themselves. If you're not doing anything for the kingdom, if you're not making any kind of impact for the kingdom, if there's zero influence that has anything to do with Jesus, the enemy could care less. He's not going after the people who are sitting on the sidelines. It's not worth the hassle. You see, Paul wasn't in prison for just being a Christian. He didn't, he didn't just raise his hand at a revival service and then all was good, and now he's in prison. There's a cost to actively following Jesus. He was persecuted because ultimately he was a disciple. If he would have just loved Jesus, kept it to himself, lived a quiet life, no one would have bothered to go, out to go to all the trouble to put him in prison. But what got him locked up was that he was reproducing himself and it caught the attention of the enemy. We will encounter suffering and opposition at some point when we decide to follow God's command to make disciples. If you want to reach people who are far from God, it's going to cost you something. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 18, wage the good warfare. I think it's very unwise to downplay the fact that we have an enemy that is against us in this world. The Bible calls him Satan, and he's the prince in the power of the air. He is real, and it is a real battle that we must be ready for. But his power will not last forever. But while we're on this earth, we must be prepared for his planned attacks against us. The Christian life is a war. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, and in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So I referenced earlier, it's not 2 Timothy, it's 1 Timothy. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. And then Paul continues in our text in verse 4. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You see, soldiers, they don't, they don't involve themselves in non-mission critical things. When they're called to duty, they rise up and they do the job that they were called to do. And Christians are called to do the same. We're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. A good soldier of Jesus will refuse to allow the temporal things of this world to keep him distracted. Now, you may struggle with them, but you're not going to stay there. Because you know better, because you're following the example of Jesus. He must increase and we must decrease and we all get off track. But we use the principles that we are supposed to be reading in our Bibles to stay on track. So what or who is getting our attention? We live in a world of distraction. And not only will disciple-making be sidelined if we smartphone and entertain ourselves to death, but Satan has more than enough ready-made, event-oriented distractions, good things, to divert us from pleasing Jesus in this hard work of advancing the gospel. Verses 5 and 6. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The, the, crops. the, the Greek here, it, what it's implying is this. Is that we're going to need determination. We're going to need a plan. And we're going to have to have some effort in order to complete 
what it is that we've been called to do. This would have been something that Timothy would have saw in his culture, this process of an athlete running in the races. And these things require perseverance. Uh, They require energy. But disciple-making will cost us. But when you have that one-on-one meeting with somebody and you walk away from that conversation and you see the impact that it made, it will all be worth it. You see, Paul said something very significant in 2 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He declared that he will most gladly spend and be spent for the souls of people. When we think we can't do anymore, we keep pushing to the finish line like an athlete as we learn the invaluable dynamic of serving in God's strength. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. This means that we labor to, to... almost the level of exhaustion. And we do that in all types of conditions and circumstances with a hope that is out of this world, with a hope that is eternal, that all of this work will one day pay off. With that phrase, well done, thou good and faithful servant. With a good harvest. You see, Paul is encouraging Timothy to not be lazy, to intensively work with a view of the harvest that is coming. To make disciples at depth means that you pour out all that you are. You pour out all of your thoughts and all of your time into those moments of disciple-making. Time. Verse 7. Think over or consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We reflect on the words that are in our Bibles and it will give us insight and understanding. If you have questions about things in this life, you'll get the answers if you just go to his word. And spend some time there and learn. Proverbs 3 tells us to trust God with all our hearts and lean not into our own understanding. Our understanding will often lead us astray. So how do we accomplish the things that we've talked about this morning? Well, we didn't read it earlier, but I want to end with that first part of verse 8. Paul says simply, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Remember the gospel, that all of this hangs on the person of Jesus Christ. He must increase, and I must decrease. Keep that in the forefront of your mind. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about his gospel. It's all about his will and his plan in our world. So keep your mind set on those things, and it will carry you through the times when you just can't imagine going any further. And we remember that we imitate Christ by equipping others to be disciples. Ultimately, equipping others will cost you something. It will cost you something. So Christian, here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to take a moment and just think about this question. It's the same question I asked you last week, and then there's going to be a second part. Would you say that you are a disciple today? And the second question goes like this. Are you investing in someone else and making disciples? Ask God to show you someone. In what areas of your life does your identity as a believer cost you something? 
And if you're not experiencing any suffering or persecution or opposition, could it be because you're, you're, you're not doing anything? You see, sometimes we don't experience difficulties because we're not doing anything that matters, that, that, that matters for the kingdom. Mission critical things. Stuff that has kingdom impact. Equipping others will cost you something. So I hope that we will be a church who makes disciples. It starts with the gospel. So here's the challenge. Get to know someone and make the investment. It might be awkward. Walk up to that person you don't know very well and say, hey, you want to get coffee tomorrow? They'll probably say yes. And then be ready. Have a Jesus-focused conversation. Make the investment. Parents, make the commitment to do this in your own home. And don't miss part four of Kingdom Impact next week. I would encourage you to be here for that. Well, I want to encourage you, as I do each and every week, the ushers are going to get ready at the doors to take up our offering. We have a couple of things I want to point your attention to. If you don't get our bulletin each week, I want to encourage you to grab one because it has our printed prayer list. So be praying for those on our prayer list. Two things I want to just make mention of. I want you to be praying for a, a young man named Ben Yagley. This is a cousin to Chris Burgess. Uh, he, he, fell off of a, he fell off of a trailer onto his back while doing hay and has a collapsed lung and a broken rib. Uh, he was life-flighted. He's in serious condition. So be praying for Ben Yegley and also be praying for Josiah Harker. Just continued health issues and just issues with his liver and things. And so be praying for Josiah. And uh, there's so many on that list that we need to remember each and every week. Be a blessing to someone. Encourage them by letting them know that you're praying for them. Send them a letter. Send them a card. Send them a text. Drop by. Tell them how much you care for them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for your word. We're thankful for the Apostle Paul and the words that he, he left us with. So God, I pray that we'd be people who are finding our strength and our comfort and our direction from you. Lord, that we would understand that there is a cost to this, this life of being a disciple. And so God, I pray that we would all rise to the call. Lord, that you would use each and every one of us in the areas that you've planted us to make an impact for the kingdom. It's not about us. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about West Hill Baptist Church. It's not even about, it's not even about our community. It's about you and your word and your gospel changing lives. So God, I pray that your word would change people and that your truth would change people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.